Chapter 12 Looking at the Metro Motel in the daylight was much like throwing open a curtain to the things that went on inside. It was pale, naked, and brittle. It was ugly and patched with abrasions. It slouched with age, badly broken at its foundation. It was a two-story building with vinyl siding hanging from it like wet clumps of makeup. A torn-up set of green-carpeted steps led up one side to a row of doors along the second floor. All the doors were lipstick red and the curtains piss yellow. Its parking lot was big, stretching all the way to the road. There'd once been a pool out front, but it'd been filled in to make room for more parking. When the sheriff arrived on the scene with his deputy, the place looked abandoned. Not a single door hung open the way they often did to let in air and let out odor. There were no people out front, no girls using the payphone, no old men using the condom machine. There was no sound from Baker's blaring radio in the front office. There was nothing besides two cars. Just like Wendy had described, they sat side by side, parked near the stairs to the second floor. One was a bright red charger with a stupid-ass license plate. The other was a glowing white hearse. Its only windows were in the front. The rest of the inside was hidden behind the car's long white walls. Wendy was right. It was much longer than a normal hearse. It looked terrifying. They sat in the Jeep, inspecting the place through the windshield. Where the hell is everybody, Dubois asked. Looks dead, Springfield said. They turned back to Wendy, glancing over their shoulders. Was it like this when you left, Springfield asked. Where's the guy you were with? Where's his car? Wendy looked up from filing her nails. I don't know, she shrugged. I guess he must have took off. I didn't see nobody else when I was here. How long were you here? Dubois asked. Did you talk to Baker? I came just before I called you, she said. The man I was with drove me here after my breakfast shift. He already had the key to the room. I didn't see Baker. Something's weird, Dubois grumbled, looking around. Springfield looked over the bare cement leading up to the building. Drawn across it like paint was a drying drag line of blood. A trail of pink and powder white that ran from the road, over the shoulder, through the ravine, and up the parking lot, ending at the base of the green carpeted stairs, where Springfield assumed whatever had been drugged there had then been lifted and carried up to the second floor. Somebody must have hit something, he said, pointing to the trail through the windshield. They must have got something big, maybe a deer. Dubois looked at him, confused. Why in the hell would somebody drag a dead deer to their room with them? Springfield chose not to answer. This was a sick place. Finding an old man fucking a piece of roadkill would not be a surprise. 
Let's just check the hearse and get the hell out of here, Springfield said. Dubois tipped his hat forward and squinted at the sky. I say we park here, he said. Last thing we need is some hothead busting loose and stealing our wheels. Kill it. We'll walk from here. Something about the sheriff was different. He'd grown agitated and short. He pulled up one of the loaded rifles from beneath his seat and checked its sights. Then, without another word, he opened his door and climbed out, aiming the gun at the building with his hat propped back on his head. Springfield watched him waddle up the drive, a little bothered by his coldness. The sheriff seemed disturbed by something. Springfield pulled into the parking lot and killed the engine. Stay put, he said over his shoulder. Wendy just wrinkled her nose at him. She couldn't get out of the caged back seat even if she tried. They had locked her in. Springfield nodded at her through the mirror and winked, then climbed out of the cab, drew his rifle, and followed the sheriff, keeping an eye on the horizon line and parking lot. It was quiet. Their boot heels echoed. You hear that? The sheriff whispered. Springfield stopped and listened. No, he said. Yeah, the sheriff replied. Me either. That's a bad sign. Follow me. They marched toward the steps, guns drawn, eyes up. They reached the two cars and stopped. Dubois put his hand on the hood of the red car. Cold as hell, he said. He moved his hand to the hood of the hearse. Cool as ice, he whispered. These cars ain't moved since last night. Whoever they belong to is inside sleeping, no doubt. Springfield spat, steadying his rifle. They made for the stairs but stopped abruptly at their base. Springfield touched a hand to the sheriff, motioning to the ground. That blood trail ends here, he said. I smell something bad. Dubois sniffed the air. Yeah, he agreed. It smells like shit. Where's that coming from? All around us, Springfield replied, shifting his eyes. There's death up and down. I can sense it. Have you talked to Baker lately? Dubois shook his head. No. You? Springfield shuddered. No. The sheriff turned an eye to the sun, squinting. I have a right mind to believe something died, Dusty. The deputy nodded, scanning the trees. They took the stairs, slow, Dubois leading and Springfield close behind, barrels pointed, brims down, shoulders flexed. The first door was marked with a crooked number eight. Dubois pounded at it and listened with an ear. Grave silence. Springfield ran up to the window and peeked inside. It was empty. Move on, he said. Dubois wiped his brow and shuffled to the next door. This one hung slightly ajar. As he knocked, the door squeaked open. The room was dark. Springfield pushed Dubois back and kicked it open, entering with his gun pointed. Sheriff's Department, he shouted sternly. 
were aiming to shoot. The bed had no sheets. The carpet was littered with tissues, and the television was shattered and lying on its side. Springfield stepped to the bathroom and pressed his back to the wall by its door. The sheriff kept watch outside, glancing around nervously. Springfield turned and kicked the door in. It broke from the hinges and fell with a hollow clatter, crashing onto the sink and ripping down the shower curtain. The bathroom was empty, and now quite a mess. Springfield shook his head, cursing quietly as he backed out of the room. Then he bumped into Dubois, who hadn't been paying attention, and the two men jumped like mice, pointing their guns at each other dumbly. You were supposed to keep a lookout, Springfield muttered. I was, Dubois argued. I was looking around, was all. They moved to the next door. It was locked. Kick it in, Dubois ordered. Springfield ignored the command and instead crept low under the room's window, popping up on the other side and leaning in to spy through the curtains. The room was dark and the bed was unmade and a pair of boots sat on the carpet next to the television. There was a jacket thrown over the chair beside it. I say we knock, Springfield whispered, nodding to the sheriff. What do you see? the sheriff asked, clutching his gun. Signs of life, Springfield whispered. He pushed Dubois aside and pounded at the door. A cough came from inside the room, then another cough. Then a toilet flushed. Springfield pounded harder. Hang on, a tired voice shouted from inside. Hang on, I'm coming. A tiny old bald man answered the door wearing nothing but brown penny loafers and a purple condom. Wendy, he asked, squinting through a pair of enormous glasses. Is that you? He was practically blind by the look of his pale, vacant eyes. His hanging skin was the color of soap water, a sickly, see-through blue. Springfield guessed the man to be in his hundreds, though his member stood with the vigor of someone in their late eighties. Out of irritation alone, Springfield stuck the barrel of his rifle to the man's chest and shoved him with it. Where's your car, old man, he barked, nudging him with the gun as he spoke. The old man stepped back and put his hands in the air. Who the fuck are you? he asked blindly, his eyes twitching. Springfield kept the gun on him and raised his voice. Answer the question. Where's your car? I parked out back by the trees, he replied proudly. The town folk don't need to see their judge's car out front of the county whorehouse. Staples? Dubois asked, squinting at him. Judge Staples? Is that you? The old man stuck his chin in the air and smiled. It was the Honorable Smith Lee Staples, local dinosaur and county judge. Dubois and Springfield hadn't recognized him because of his lack of attire and the fact he was missing his wig, glasses, and apparently prosthetic pushbroom mustache. He'd answered the door as just the skeletal remains of himself, hung like a man of merciless power. Your Honor, Dubois said, tipping his hat. 
We're investigating a stolen vehicle out here. You see anything funny? Judge Staples was notoriously deaf as well, so this question came with no reply. Instead, the old man staggered back into the room and sat on the bed. Then he began to play with himself, licking his lips and kissing the air. Wendy, sweet baby, he sighed flirtatiously. Quit playing investigator and get back in here, you little doll. Springfield stepped into the room, grabbed the judge's boots, and threw them over the railing into the parking lot. Then he shut the door. Well, that was a sight, Dubois said, scratching his head. Shut up, Springfield grunted, shoving the sheriff forward and motioning for them to move to the next door. But then he stopped and knelt, touching the green carpet. There was blood, and a large footprint drug through it. Stand back, he said, pressing an ear to the door. Dubois pointed his rifle and flexed his little legs, holding the gun steady as he could and aiming it right over the deputy's left shoulder. Springfield gave him a quick nod and stepped back, kicking in the door and drawing his rifle up to his eye. He entered the room and scanned the floors, walls, and ceiling, wide-eyed and speechless. Hell on earth, he sighed, lowering the barrel and looking around. The room was torn apart, stripped of its wallpaper and carpet. The bedsheets and pillows had been ripped to shreds and thrown all around. The carpet padding stuck out along the baseboards, exposed and chewed up. The television, refrigerator, chair, and end table were strewn throughout the room in pieces. Certain sharper parts of them had been stabbed into the walls like knives. Wires hung from the ceiling, and longer ones were tied around the bedposts in intricate knots. But whatever had been tied down had now escaped, because the loose ends hung frayed and broken. The decapitated carcass of a young man hung upside down on a wall. He'd been nailed to it with metal parts from the refrigerator and television. He'd also been dissected, cut open from his throat to his anus, and hollowed like a pumpkin. His blood was smeared all over the walls in some type of pattern. The plumbing from the bathroom walls had been removed and used to cut holes into the drywall. These holes had then been stuffed with the man's organs. These stuffed and leaking holes were also in some kind of symbolic pattern weaving throughout the room. A human brain and heart lied on the bed, skewered together with a broken television antenna. Springfield turned and puked right onto the floor. He wiped his mouth and stepped over the broken refrigerator, poking his rifle at the body on the wall. What the fuck, he muttered. The ribs had also been removed. Dusty, the sheriff called from outside the door. I see blood. Is it bad? Yeah, Springfield shouted back. It's bad. Scott was hiding under the bed, watching Springfield's boots.
What is all this? Dubois asked, stepping into the room and looking around. Some kind of message, Springfield replied, pointing to the blood on the walls. I'd say to hell with reading it, Dubois said, shaking his head. We'd best get to the radio and call the State Department on this one. There's too much blood. Don't touch nothing else. Springfield eyed the floor. Check under the bed, he said, motioning with his gun for the sheriff to pull back the mattress. Dubois knelt as best his gut would allow and wagged a hand under the bed, nearly touching Scott on the nose. Scott held his breath and watched the stubby fingers miss his face by inches. There's nothing under here, Dubois grunted, rising to his feet and brushing himself off. Let's get back to the truck and radio this in. I didn't come up here expecting to find a murder scene. We're unprepared and undermanned. Come on, let's go. You go on, Springfield said. Go check on Wendy and Radio Fontaine. Get the judge out of here while you're at it. I'm going to check the other rooms and find Baker. If you spot him, tell him to get his ass up here. The sheriff looked around, shaking his head. Then he backed out of the room, shouting for the judge to get dressed and come quick. Springfield poked his head into the bathroom. The tub had been broken apart and removed, and the plastic walls of the shower stall were ripped down, leaving a giant hole in the wall and floor. Whatever had made the hole had likely crawled inside and was now escaping through the building's plumbing system. Springfield spat into it and shook his head, thinking just what it would take for him to climb in after it. Dubois left the old judge fumbling with his pants at the top of the stairs and waddled his way back across the parking lot to the jeep. He opened the driver's side door and reached in, grabbing the radio and bringing it to his mouth. But before he pressed the button to speak, despair overtook him and he dropped the receiver and clutched the bars of the back seat, his eyes scrambling. Oh, fuck, he said breathlessly. Wendy was gone. Her nail file laid in the seat along with Springfield's jacket and the shoes he'd thrown to her. Oh, fuck no, he shouted. Fuck no. Fuck no. He fell back out of the cab and ran around the truck, his eyes searching the lot. He ran down to the road and looked up and down it. She was just gone. He turned and ran faster than he had in years skipping and jumping back up to the motel and around to the back. He looked through the trees. She wasn't there either. He tripped over a tangle of hoses as he rounded the other side of the building. Then he noticed the hearse was gone, too. Dusty? he shouted. What? the deputy called back from up in the room. Dusty, you better get down here. She's gone. What? Springfield shouted. He stepped out of the room and looked down into the lot. The hearse, the sheriff said, pointing to the empty spot where it had been parked only minutes before. The hearse is gone, and so is Wendy.
Springfield leapt down the stairs and sprinted across the pavement to his truck. He stared into the empty back seat. Then he ran down to the road and looked up and down it, shaking his head and cursing. Dubois reached inside the truck and grabbed the radio, lifting it to his face while keeping an eye on his deputy. Fontaine, wake the fuck up, he shouted into the receiver. A gurgling sound came from the other end. Then the sleepy voice of Deputy Reswal Fontaine sprouted to life, yawning and sighing. Sheriff? Fontaine asked through the radio. Is something up? Dubois rolled his eyes and pulled off his hat, stopping himself from shouting. Listen, shit for brains. Put your dick back in your pants and rally any of those other dumbasses you can find. We got a homicide at the motel. Some kind of blood game or who knows what. And somebody kidnapped Wendy Montgomery. Blood game? Fontaine asked, still half asleep. Springfield had walked back from the road and was sitting on the pavement with his back to the wheel of the jeep, staring off with his hat in his hands listening to the sheriff ramble like a bad actor blindly reading. He rose to his feet and grabbed the radio out of Dubois' hand and spoke in a cold, lost voice. Fontaine, he croaked, wake up that idiot Lewis and tell him to make you a pot of coffee. Get a hold of Dwyer and Ellis and get your asses on the motel road toward Farmington. You better drive fast if you want to catch up with us. I'll be headed east. We're looking for a long white Cadillac. Springfield paused, exchanging a glance with the sheriff before continuing. A hearse, I mean. We're looking for a long white hearse. If you see it on your way here, pull it the fuck over and draw every weapon you got on it. But don't shoot a damn thing. They got Wendy. Is somebody trying to take her out of town again? Fontaine asked. Yeah, Springfield muttered. He clicked the radio off and threw it back into the truck. Then he climbed in and started the engine. Dubois raced around and opened the passenger door, grabbing Springfield by the arm to help pull himself inside. Don't you want to search the other rooms? Dubois asked. No, Springfield replied. We gotta go. Dubois nodded, knowing exactly what was on the deputy's mind. Springfield hit the gas, but left the siren off. This was no longer a police matter. When he caught up with whoever this was, there would be death and a burial. Dubois put his hands on the dash, bracing himself as the road became an oncoming blur. As the sound of the speeding jeep faded into the distance, Scott wiggled out from under the bed, gasping for air. He crawled across the carpet to the door and rose to his knees, then his feet, balancing himself and looking around at the torn-apart room. He'd expected an even worse mess from the sounds he'd heard throughout the night. He glanced over at the broken-apart bedside table. There, lying among the splinters of wood, was the leather-bound book and the strange plastic bag. He picked them up and stuffed them in his coat. Then he found his wallet beneath a fold of carpet, 
and pocketed that as well. He looked around at the patterned smears of blood and guts. It looked a lot like the house where he'd found the girl, but this arrangement was more violent and less artfully done. It looked almost playful. He pulled out his keys and opened the door. The sunlight blinded him, and he stepped out with an arm over his eyes, stumbling down the stairs to his car. He climbed in, put on his sunglasses, and backed out of the lot. Then he took a left and headed east. Inside the Jeep, Springfield's face had turned to stone. His hands strangled the wheel. Dubois watched his deputy with sideways eyes. A few years ago, Wendy had gone missing like this. Not quite to this extreme, but similar. She'd taken off in a nice car with a strange man. A man with dark intentions. But Springfield and the sheriff had caught up with them before anything bad had happened. Dubois had sworn to not discuss the things he'd seen Springfield do to the man, which were very dark things themselves, yelling as he did them for Wendy to look away and for the sheriff to hold her back. He'd killed the man with his bare hands. Witnessing this had made the sheriff think that love might be a disease, a sick infection of the mind, an illness that could drive a man crazy. The things he'd watched his deputy do to the man's face could only be excused as an act of insanity. Dubois had sworn to forget that awful event, and so had Wendy. But always in the back of the sheriff's mind was the notion that his deputy was a very sick person. <laughs>